Well, good morning to all those who are with us in person, to those who are online. It is, again, a joy to be together. I will say this, uh, October snow is absolutely ridiculous, and whichever one of you already put up your Christmas decorations, I blame you. Shame on you. You know who you are. This is your fault. There's no segue in from that. So let's just turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. As we get to continue through this most remarkable passage, uh, let's take some time to reread again together verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with him, with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we pray for your, your power to be at work in us. As we uh, take this in and as we think deeply upon these incredible truths, I pray that by your spirit and overflow of your grace that you be with us even now. Help us in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving of this, your word, to your glory, to our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. But God, two simple words, so much hinges on these two little words, but God, everything that comes before it is death and destruction. Everything that comes after it is life and redemption. Everything comes before it sinks in despair. Everything that comes after it soars in wonder. Everything that comes before but God reeks of, of rejection and rebellion and everything that comes after it is the aroma of, of restoration and glory. Two little, overwhelmingly powerful words, but God. Without these two words, there's no before and after, no how it was and how it's going, just the despair of deadness, but God, but God. And it's because of these two words and all that they entail 
all that is around them that we can answer our question, why are we here? We are here to live. And here's how. But God. So hopefully as we've been moving through our series that you've been encouraged by some raw realities. One, that God has created and redeemed us to, to live for Him in His glory, to make much of His grace with our lives. That you'd see that our real problem is our spiritual death brought on by our sin. And that here now we will be encouraged, hopefully, by all that God does to overcome all that we are and have because of our sin. And it's quite simple. Because God makes us alive, we can now live for Him. I know that's not overwhelmingly profound at all, but because God makes us alive, there must be a reason for it. And that reason then is that our lives would be lived for Him. And our point and our passage now hinges on those two incredibly powerful, overwhelmingly awesome words, but God. And these two little words will reveal to us some things that are crucially important. Crucially important for us. But God reveals to us, first of all, who God is. Who God is. Two little words that springboard into the deep end of the pool of God's character and worth. But God. Secondly, we'll find is that but God reveals to us what God does. What God does. These two little words launch us out into seeing and anticipating something truly amazing. Thirdly, we'll find that these two little words, but God reveals who we are. Our story doesn't end in all that is said about us in the before. But God. So there's something more about who we are. And then fourthly, it will tell us and reveal to us what we do. That is, these two little words turn our attention to see a new way of life. Now, you might be wondering, for those who've been you know, around this last year, Sean, you've used those four things before as a sermon outline, and that is intentional. These are good ways to attack and read and, and study God's Word. As you read through the passages that you're reading, the books in the Bible that you're reading, you can ask of those passages these four things. What does it tell me about who God is? What does it tell me about what God does? What does it tell me about who I am? And what does it tell me about how I live? And so we're going to work through this most incredible passage, verse 4 and 5, working through those four things together. First, but God reveals who God is. Who God is. And in these two verses, and really in the whole of this chapter, and, and really in the whole of Ephesians, but in these two verses, we see the character of God shines brightly. Think of all the darkness and deadness of what we considered last week and what we read in verses 1 through 3. 
It's pretty dark. It's pretty deep. It's pretty despairing. But God, but God, then this character comes shining forth, brighter than the darkness, reaching to the depths of deadness. This character shining forth. It's the megawatts of God's character. And we get to read here. And there are three things about God's character that are, that are shining brightly in these two verses, verses 4 and 5. First is, we see that God is rich in mercy. Second, we see that God is great in love. And third, we see God is vast in grace. And so let's work through those. Let's think on these. Let's set our, ha- our head and our hearts on God's character that's shining brightly in our passages. Because this is revealing to us something about who God is. First, rich in mercy. Verse 4 says, that, but God being rich in mercy. Notice what is stated first. Before any action, before God does anything, we still first get a glimpse of who God is, a description of His being. He is being rich in mercy. Counter it to what is said about us. We are being dead in our sins and trespasses. God, conversely, is being rich in mercy. It's who He is. Rich in mercy. Rich, that's a, a great little word. It means abounding, overwhelming, unending. It doesn't deplete or diminish or dry up. It's rich. It's, it's sourced by something that never runs dry. By the character of God. And then we find mercy as we've been focused on that in our time of Scripture and of singing. We find that mercy has been a major theme for our time together this morning because it is a major theme of the character of God revealed here in our passage. Mercy is the kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to bring relief to them. It is this overwhelming kindness that is coupled with action to bring relief. That's who God is in His being. Being overwhelmingly full with relief, producing kindness toward us, the miserable and afflicted, the dead and our sin character of God, shining bright, rich in mercy. Secondly, we find that it is, the next characteristic is that God is great in love. And this is important. Note that the love with which He loved us was first describing something He is, not just something He possesses. He is this love. He he loves Action, because of love, being. God loves not because He found something lovable in us. He loves because He's love. This again shines out. And and this love that He is and then shows up in what He does is great, it says in our passage. Great in love. 
Again, nice simple little word that draws out the depth of God's character for us. It means many, much, overwhelming in scope. What kind of love? The many, much, overwhelming in scope kind of love. And the love here mentioned is the, that realest, rawest, most intimate kind of love, the agape kind of love. It's the one that is most personal, most deep, and most fitting of who God is. So, having the characteristic of overwhelming love, God overwhelmingly loves us. Again, we find here in these two simple verses this incredible display of who God is. His character is shining brightly. And then thirdly, we find that He is vast in grace. Very end of of our verse 5, by grace you have been saved. The saving work of God is the outworking of the vastness of His grace, who He is. And grace is that goodwill, loving kindness, unmerited favor of God, poured out without measure. And because of the loving kindness of God, He bestows His unmerited favor on sinners to bring about their salvation. Because that is who He is. I love Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. It was for a thoughtful reflection as we sang earlier. It says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Note again, it is a characteristic before it is an action. What did He do? He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Staggering display of the character of God, of who He is. We're confronted by God's character when we open up His Scriptures. And there's some implications for us that we get to wrestle this out in our lives, as hard and challenging, as complicated as that might be is that God's revealed Word to us, His Scriptures, reveal His character to us, who He is. And does so perfectly, without error or fault or wrong. But you and I, we live in a hard and harsh world. And sometimes you and I, we have hard and harsh hearts. And sometimes we look at life through the lens of something hard and harsh. And as a result of that, our view of the things around us in our life, our view of God, our view of the world, our view of ourselves, get obscured or hijacked by the hard and the harsh. And then you and I, we do something that, is, that, is, that just compounds the whole issue of hardness and harshness in us, is that through the lens of hard and harsh, we project onto God things that are not true of God. We look at God through the blurred, cloudy, broken, fraying view of our hard and harsh experiences. And we, are, we find our thoughts and our affections shaped by that rather than by what we see here. So you and I, we desperately 
God's word to reset our thoughts and our affections. And you and I have been redeemed to a people, a church, where we need to, to be God's people who remind and rehearse always together the character and worth of God as revealed in Scripture. Because we, we have so many things that are going on around us or in us that will obscure what God has revealed about who He is in the Word. And we need to be told yet again that God is rich in mercy, great in love, vast in grace. verse reveals to us his character, who he is. And then from that character, we then see what he does. And what we find but God does in revealing who he is, it also reveals what he does. So if it tells us that the character of God shines bright, then the, the work of God brings life. What does God do? He brings life says here that we are made alive. Made alive is the main verb of our passage. It actually is the main verb all the way through verse 7. Everything from 4 through 7 is, is attached to and modifying and expanding our understanding of what God has done in making us alive. That's the main verb. And so we have, as we considered last week, an overriding prevailing problem. And that overriding prevailing problem is our deadness brought on by our sin or our sin that brings on deadness. Really doesn't really matter how you get around to it, but our sin brings on deadness and our deadness is brought on by our sin. That's our problem. And that problem is overcome by something greater. God, who out of his mercy and out of his love and out of his grace does something that we could never generate on our own, and that is to make us alive. That's awesome. Incredible news. To be dead and then to be made alive, that's kind of a big deal, yeah? Maybe? But let's just take a, a little moment to just have some sentence structure exercise together. Just so we don't get our verb mixed up and who's doing what and when. God is the subject here. God is the subject. He's the one doing the action which is made alive. And we, or the us, are the recipients of that action. God is the subject. Made alive is the action. And us are the recipients. Why is that important? God took the initiative to do and it wasn't done with cooperation. He did this work. God didn't make the possibility of life. God made alive. And He made is a completed action in the past that has ongoing wonderful consequences that we get to live. God did the work as an overflow of who He is. 
God made alive sinners sunk down in their death. God overcame the most significant ultimate problem any of us in here will ever face. He removed the greatest barrier that no one in here could ever climb. And He did it all for us. That's some seriously good news. Makes me think of Colossians chapter 2. It helps us see this. The only other place where we see this made us alive together verb in the Bible, and that is Colossians 2, 13 through 14. It's going to read very familiar. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. What great news. God, out of the vastness and the overwhelming flood of His character of mercy and love and and grace, did for us what we could never do. And so, implication for us is this. If by setting our thoughts and our affections on who God is and what He has done for us, it helps us then rehearse some things in our head, in our hearts, to maybe give us a perspective then in a life that could be hard or challenging. And that's this, if, if the worst thing we could ever face, ever, is overcome by God, who is rich in mercy, love, and grace, then we can meet the hard things in this life, knowing we have something greater in our God. Sometimes you may wonder and wrestle, how does the gospel relate to everyday life? Right there. We oftentimes need to rehearse it to our hearts because we face things that are overwhelming in the here and now. And they, can, they may seem like giant boulders in our way. But they're not the worst thing that you will ever face. The worst thing is spiritual death, separation from God. Receiving His justice for your rebellion against Him. That is the worst thing. And if God so overwhelmingly overcomes the worst thing, then He will certainly sustain you and strengthen you for the hard thing that you will face in this life. That brings some tethering to reality of the gospel. It's not just for feeling better on a Sunday morning, but it's that Monday morning. (laughs) It's that Tuesday evening. It's that Thursday. How in the world am I going to get through Friday feeling? That we start holding on to all those tethers and realize that God has done something for us far greater than we realize. It doesn't mean your life will be easy or that comfort should be your goal. But it does mean nothing, no matter how overwhelming and challenging and hard, can undo what God has done. Nothing can overcome 
what God has done. It wouldn't have to be greater than God to do that. Thirdly, as we think through this and move through this, the but God not only catapults us to see his character and to see his works, but it then begins to reshape our understanding of who we are. Who we are. Well, first of all, we are dead made alive. We being dead have been made alive. We're the dead made alive. But to put this another way, it makes us totally dependent people. We are totally and holy, as in the W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, as in holy, hopefully someday holy, but holy people. Totally and wholly, completely dependent on the God of all grace. We are dead, which means we can't make ourselves live. In the very verb form, made alive, places us under the actions of God, not causing them or cooperating with them. God is doing something to us. Therefore, that makes us completely dependent upon God, completely dependent upon His grace. And that dependency, that understanding that we are completely dependent on God is to work in us a new reality of who we are. And that new reality is to reflect the one who has rescued us. Now, it makes us certainly humble. Nothing, there's nothing in our salvation that we get to take credit for. It certainly makes us hopeful because this is a future we could never secure on our own. And hopefully, it makes us happy that we have been rescued from something we couldn't escape and rescued to something we could never gain. Hopefully, that makes you happy. And then hopefully, then, it makes us holy that we would then see ourselves as set apart for the one who made us alive. That you don't belong to your sin anymore. You don't belong to this world anymore. You don't belong to the devil anymore because one greater than the devil, greater than the world, greater than your sin has come and has rescued you to himself. That then is who you are. But to drive that even more home, our verb is actually like this really complicated super verb. Made us alive together. It's all wrapped up in one big old word. The made us alive includes the word together. And that together is directly linked with Jesus. That we are made alive together with Christ, or another fun little exploratory phrase to take yourself on in the Bible is in Christ. But God, in Christ, and by the Spirit, those three phrases spend the rest of your life studying. Our life is in Him. Theologians call it union with Christ, and, and really that's going to be the main focus for us next week. We're going to hopefully jump deep into that in verse 6. 
but we can touch on it a little bit right now because that together is crucially important. It helps us understand who we are. We are in Christ. We are united to Christ. And what that means is that his life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. Being together with him is having those things, his life, his death, his resurrection, count as our things. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, state it this way. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You're no longer defined by your sin. Who you are is wrapped up in your Savior. You're no longer defined by shackles in this world. One greater than those shackles has set you free. What profound encouragement. Understanding whose you are and who you are profoundly impact how you are and how you live. I'm going to say that again. Understanding whose you are and who you are profoundly impacts how you are and how you live. All because, two little words, but God. Last thing, what we do. What we do, but God reveals to us what we do, and that is this. You and I who are in Christ, whose faith is firmly fixed on Him, we are to live. Live. We're not simply to bide our time and wait, but we have been rescued to live. Live our lives now. Live our lives now knowing what all this glory and grace and mercy and love that we taste, we will enjoy in full measure for all eternity. But you and I who are rescued and redeemed are not rescued and redeemed to slog along in life. We're to live. Live. And what does live look like? Well, first of all, when we, are, when we encounter this incredible message of God's overwhelming mercy and love and grace in making us alive together in Christ, our initial response and ongoing one is repentance and faith. It's initial and it is to be characteristic of our lives. What does our living look like? Well, it is a repenting and believing life. Initially, it is the immediate response to good news. And that is that we are to turn from our sin and turn to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. To repent means to turn away from a, a direction that is leading you down a dead-end road, surrounded by deadness. To turn away from that by turning to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation. Many of us 
could detail that and articulate that as part of coming to faith in Christ. But that reality of turning from and to doesn't just like go up on the shelf and you just go about living your life. No, that reality of turning from and turning to is then to be characteristic of our lives. That we keep on living that out. Not in an oops, I messed up, I need to be saved again way. But more in the, the reality that God wants our hearts to constantly be turning away from the world and constantly turning to Him. Turning away from enfolding in itself and turning to Him. And we do that through faith in Christ. It's not repentance and faith are not simply the actions of a single moment, but the characteristic of a whole life that has been made alive. Secondly, our live is repent and believe. And then secondly, our live is worship and wonder. Worship isn't simply a song we sing, but a life we live. A life that says God is worth all the glory. That our devotion would be firmly fixed on who God is and what He has done and wanting to direct all the praise toward Him. Filled with affection. How can we read these words in Ephesians 2? How can we experience this grace How can we have this life and come away with a level of affection? What are we looking at? What are we understanding if that is what our hearts feel when we wrestle with and think upon all that God is and does for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh no. You and I, we were created and redeemed to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He's after your affections too. We be joyful, hope-filled, exuberant people because we've been made alive. And then, thirdly, that we would magnify the grace of God to the glory of God, which coincides with where this passage sort of culminates in verse 10, is that we are the workmanship of God and that we are created for good works. That is, we are created and recreated. We're created and redeemed for good works. That we are to live as extensions and expressions of the grace of God to the glory of God. Not in the sense of we have to figure out exactly what we are to do with our life, but how we live out the life that we have been rescued to is to be extensions of the grace of God to the glory of God. And I have a surgical question for us to wrestle with. If you took away the checkbox actions of your life, that is, going to church, tithing, donating food to the food pantry, filling out an Operation Christmas Child box, you took those actions away. Those are all good things. Please don't stop doing that. But if you took those away from your life, would how you live magnify the grace of God to the glory of God? And notice, I didn't say what you did for a living or where you lived. 
the how. How you, as a mom, live out these days of COVID that bring the opportunity for the grace of God to be magnified. I don't say that to heap us with guilt. I say that to, to have a surgical sort of evaluation of our lives. And if our surgical evaluation reveals some issues, the issues isn't more work. The issues is to go back to the beginning of the outline and set your head and your heart on the character of God. And to, to have your head and your heart reset to who God is. And then to take that, that, that heart that's being reset and reshaped and then to, to dig deep on what God has done and is doing and will do. And then to go from there and ask yourself, do I see myself as one who has been made alive and brought into the family of God called a treasured son and precious daughter then you get to how you live. Start all the way back over. Set your thoughts, your hearts on who God is, what He has done, what that makes you, and then see how that informs how you live. Because you and I, we are meant to live. Unfortunately, we're dead. But wait, there's good news. God makes dead sinners alive. Now we can live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it we find words of life. It reveals to us who you are, reveals to us what you have done, reveals to us the response that we are to have to you, to know that by grace we have been saved. Oh God, I pray for everyone in here this morning that that would be a statement that reflects authenticity of their heart and life. And God, we would pray that as we think on and reflect upon your character and your works, that it would reshape the way that we see ourselves, the world around us, and even yourself. That it would inform and fuel the way that we are to live out our lives. Oh God, may our lives indeed be extensions of your grace all to your glory. Help us, we pray. Help us to see, as we sang earlier, though our sins they may be many, your mercy, oh God, thank you. Your mercy is more. This we pray in Christ's name, amen. And before we leave and head out, um, just a quick reminder, today is the last day to turn in any funds that you would donate to fill Operation Christmas Child boxes. So if you want to give that online or drop it in the box, just if you drop it in the box, maybe let us know. That way we can plan accordingly or fill, fill, it on, fill it out online on our website under the Give resource tab. And then secondly, uh, quickly, next Sunday night is our prayer night, church-wide prayer night at 5 p.m. We're going to ask that you register for that just like you did for the worship service so that we make sure we have appropriate spacing. Um, but we're going to pray. We're going to particularly pray for uh, our nation and our community all around us and for gospel opportunities in light of whatever may happen on Tuesday or Wednesday or however long it takes for all the chats to, that are hanging out to get counted. Hopefully we don't have another one of those. But um, if, if you are interested in being a part of that, 
then just please sign up. You'll see that sign up on Friday again, uh, just like you would um, uh, signing up for the service. We will not have, obviously, uh, the evening service next week in lieu of our prayer night. All right, if you would, please stand for our benediction. Benediction feels so fitting, comes from the end of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen.